Welcome to Podcast Q with Matt Henney. That is me, and with election season fully upon us, I'm coming to you with a special episode. Recently, John Ossoff, the Democratic nominee for the U.S. Senate in Georgia, joined our live event series, Q Conversations, to discuss LGBTQ equality, being a true ally, trans health care, and how LGBTQ voters can help his campaign. We also discussed racial justice, voter suppression, and the coronavirus pandemic. He also took questions from attendees during the event. So for this episode of Podcast Q, we're bringing you our conversation with John Ossoff. Enjoy. Hi, John. Hey, Matt. Great to see you. Thank you so much for having me. And, and hello to everybody out there. I hope you're in good health. Much love, everyone. And welcome to everybody else that's joining us. Thanks for being here today. Also joining us is Project Q's Mike Fleming, who is moderating the online chat, which is to the right of your screen. Drop your comments in there during the event. And if you have any questions for John, please put those in the Ask a Question feature at the bottom of your screen, and we'll answer those during the event today. And with that, we'll just jump right in. John, in your 2017 campaign for the House, and again this year in your Senate campaign, you've embraced LGBT equality in a way that even just a few years ago wasn't done by a Democrat in a statewide race. Where does your commitment to LGBTQ Georgians come from? From a deeply rooted belief in the equality of all people and uh, commitment to expanding human rights uh, and to ensuring that everyone in our society and indeed around the world is treated with the compassion and dignity and respect that they deserve. There's no place for discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation or, or gender identity. Uh, those uh, should be not merely a matter of principle, but a matter of law. And earlier this summer, the human rights campaign called you a true ally and endorsed you in the Senate race uh, at LGBT events uh, in Atlanta, whether it's a pride parade, a rally or an HRC dinner, you get quite an enthusiastic reception. That's probably a good way to put it. So why do uh, LGBT groups and people embrace you so much? Well, I, I, I wouldn't uh, speak for them, but I guess I would um, think about that question in the following way. Uh, you know, I am from a, a different generation than a lot of folks who are running for federal office right now. And even, uh, you know, among a lot of people my age, we forget how swiftly uh, our society has evolved on equality just in the last 10 to 15 years, uh, how far we've come and how fast. But the flip side of that is how fragile those gains are. And I think that the, the, the moment that we're living through right now, this Trump era, is reminding us of the fragility of a lot of things. Our democracy itself can't be taken for granted. By the same token, the huge strides that have been made securing human rights for LGBTQ people in America in the last 10 or 15 years can't be taken for granted uh, because these gains can slip swiftly and there are people working hard to undo them. They can't be taken for granted and our work is also not done. So I, you know, I humbly hope that that, that perspective, which informs my positions on the issues uh, and how I conduct myself in public and the kind of leadership that I try to offer uh, explains, you know, some of the support, which I, I do not take for granted and which I'm constantly trying to build and reaffirm. 
Oh, well, in, in your mention of the fragility of some of the LGBTQ gains uh, uh, is, is very on point. The Trump administration has enacted rule changes that allow healthcare providers and insurance companies to turn away transgender patients, which clearly is a, is a change from the previous administration. What will you do as a senator to help protect transgender and other LGBTQ people in healthcare? Well, uh, I'm absolutely disgusted by that effort. And, uh, you know, Georgians will be able to count on me to defend their health insurance, no matter their gender identity or sexual orientation, uh, and no matter their gender or their age or their health condition. You know, there is a broad attack on health insurance and health care underway in this country. Uh, my opponent, David Perdue, who has persisted, for example, in supporting a Supreme Court lawsuit that would repeal protections for people who are already sick to their health insurance. And this cynical effort by the Trump administration to try to allow discrimination on the basis of gender identity. It's disgusting. It has no place in our politics. I'll be an outspoken opponent uh, of those discriminatory efforts and an outspoken ally for transgender people in Georgia and across the country. Okay. And back to the HRC endorsement, you, you pledged if elected to defend same-sex marriage and the rights of same-sex couples to adopt. You oppose uh, attempts to ban LGBTQ service members. You pledged to strengthen anti-bullying programs for LGBT youth and defend transgender light rights. That's quite a bit different than the platform of your opponent. Is that right? It is. I mean, my opponent uh, has um, been opposed to marriage equality. Uh, he has views on these issues that are um, discriminatory, uh, that are rooted, in my opinion, in um, a personal view of the world that he has, apparently, and seeks to impose on others. And uh, that doesn't represent the values that I believe this state stands for and and wants to see in their representatives. You know, there's there's no place for hatred, for uh, bigotry, for homophobia, transphobia, anti-Semitism, racism in uh, the representation of our state in Congress. And it's one of the reasons that we need to make a change. Senator Perdue is wrong on the issues. He's seeking to impose his uh, personal morality on the people he's sworn to protect and serve, uh, and he needs to be defeated. And the Equality Act, which you said you support, you've talked to us about it in previous interviews, and, and it came up, I think, when the with with the HRC endorsement, and that would provide anti discrimination protections for LGBTQ people in employment, housing, and public accommodations. It's been passed by the House, but hasn't received a vote in the Senate. Why is this legislation so important? Well, I'll be a strong vote for the Equality Act in the Senate, and it's long past time that it became law. Uh, you know, and, and what it does, as as you just outlined, is it adds sexual orientation and gender identity as protected classes under existing civil rights legislation. Uh, and, you know, that is um, vital uh, and long overdue. Uh, and we need strengthened civil rights laws across the board. The last year, there's been, I think, a, a, a raised consciousness of the inadequacy of civil rights laws in the United States, the Department of Justice Civil Rights Division, and needs more authority to ensure that, uh, you know, whether it's on the basis of race or gender or sexual orientation or gender identity, um, that there's not discrimination uh, in in 
public life in America. And uh, the Equality Act is an important step in that direction. So Brandon, who's attending the event, asked about the Equality Act and also asked, how would you go about raising support uh, for the for the legislation among constituents, especially the folks who might live in rural and non-urban parts of Georgia? Well, first of all, let me say I already believe that there's strong majority support for that legislation in our state. Um, but, you know, I try to infuse my leadership with the values that I learned from Congressman Lewis. And, you know, my first exposure to, uh, to public leadership, to politics, to government was working for Mr. Lewis. And he became a mentor of mine uh, who had a profound impact on my worldview. And what he taught me is that to build the beloved community, we have to expand our compassion. We have to treat the dignity of every individual as sacred. We have to lead in such a way uh, that appeals to our better angels. You know, right now we're seeing such a cynical style of political leadership from Donald Trump and his enablers in Congress that uh, tries to mobilize political support on the basis of division and fear. And this country needs healing. This country needs leadership that uh, appeals to our hearts and to our ethics and our moral compass um, that all of us are in this together and, and to waste our precious time and energy uh, with, with hatred uh, or with efforts to undermine the human rights of our fellow human beings um, is, is a tragedy. And I believe that the people of this state uh, want to live in a society that is tolerant and inclusive, uh, that, that celebrates diversity while also uh, being constantly reminded of our unity and what we have in common. And, and I hope that by offering leadership informed by and guided by those principles, which I learned above all from John Lewis, uh, that we will continue to expand um, the commitment to human rights and equality under the law here in Georgia. Okay, we've got another question uh, from Anthony, who asks, "What's uh, what unique opportunities do you see for rural America's LGBTQ farmers, including farmers of color, to enter the realms of urban ag- agricultural support? Uh, excuse me, suburban growing and gardening, and uh, pollinator protection." Yeah, I think there's a really exciting expansion. Uh, of interest in, um, you know, that sort of um, smaller scale uh, agriculture that allows food production uh, in all parts of our state and and greater and more inclusive participation in agriculture in Georgia. Uh, And I'll be a partner for those who are interested in expanding those opportunities and seeing how federal policy can can support all of Georgia's farmers. You know, I mean, uh, agriculture is um, a vital, vital, vital uh, aspect of our state's economy, a creator of uh, many jobs and wealth uh, and um, more participation and more diverse participation in that opportunity is, is only positive. Okay. Switching gears a bit to discuss the ongoing racial justice movement, it's sometimes criticized for ignoring the lives of of black transgender women. What can be done at the federal level and and in your campaign to make sure that these LGBTQ people feel valued and feel included? 
Well, I think, first of all, uh, leaders and um, people seeking office and those who hold elected office need to speak publicly uh, about the appalling level of violence that uh, transgender people of color in America face. Uh, And um, as we work to strengthen civil rights laws, uh, awareness of the appalling uh, levels of brutality and discrimination and violence, including violence in incarceration faced by transgender people of color, uh, will help us ensure that strengthened civil rights laws are uh, attentive to and responsive to swiftly and with strength um, uh, the needs of of folks who are facing marginalization and violence, uh, bullying in youth, uh, and who uh, are are living in fear when they should be living proudly uh, and and in security. And and so my awareness of that particular need for more public leadership that's outspoken on the need to protect uh, you know the most marginalized people in our society and people who are um, so systematically uh, subject to violence you know that will um, influence how I work to strengthen civil rights legislation in the United States and look. You know, we've seen uh, positive legislative developments, for example, in criminal justice reform with the House passage of the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, uh, which now awaits Senate action. And with everything going on in this country, you know, if if our president had any interest in uniting the country and providing some positive leadership, he'd be urging the Senate to take up that legislation. But that legislation is also um, itself insufficient. It's necessary, but insufficient. We need a new civil rights act in this country. And. Uh, that new civil rights legislation needs to be crafted in such a way that um, folks who are ignored, marginalized, subject to violence, uh, the, the communities that are most at risk can swiftly gain security in our country. Everyone in America should feel secure uh, in who they are, in their identity, uh, free from fear of persecution, targeted violence, uh, and bullying. And I believe that that is the beloved community that uh, Congressman Lewis taught us about. And that's the kind of society that I want to help build. And, and, and you mentioned the George Floyd Act. What are your thoughts on uh, the, the racial justice movement in terms of what can be done to, to help change policing and meet some of the, the uh, concerns that have been raised by the protests over the last several months? Well, a new Civil Rights Act should empower the Civil Rights Division at the Department of Justice to hold police accountable where there's brutality or where there's racial bias to hold prosecutors accountable, where they uh, fail to uphold the 14th Amendment promise of equal protection under the law and hold judges accountable where there's race or class disparities in in sentencing uh, and also bring up standards in our prisons and facilities of incarceration to humane standards. There is um, severe race and class disparities in our criminal justice system. And uh, we can reform that system uh, so that equal protection under the law is reality and not an empty promise. It is already the law of the land. That is what the 14th Amendment of our Constitution guarantees. But when you know, a young black man, Ahmaud Arbery, is, is shot to death in broad daylight in the street in Glenn County in Georgia, 
and police and prosecutors look the other way. Well, that makes a mockery of equal protection under the law. What I'm encouraged by is that we have a very broad, multiracial, multigenerational coalition that is committed to those reforms and that we saw peaceably assemble here in Georgia in the tens of thousands uh, demanding reform. And, you know, that is um, an extraordinary thing and an opportunity for us uh, to build public support for the kind of legislative changes that can redress these longstanding inequities. Before the event started, we were talking a little bit about how the coronavirus pandemic has impacted the campaign. Has Senator Perdue been doing enough to combat coronavirus? How would your approach differ? No, Senator Perdue has totally failed uh, in his obligation to protect the people he represents from a threat to our health and our prosperity such as this. He and Donald Trump were both denying, denying, delaying, misleading. Senator Perdue, uh, while he was very busy trading stock, buying stock in a manufacturer of medical equipment the same day the Senate got briefed on coronavirus in January, loading up on vaccine stock while he dumped his casino shares. What he was saying to the rest of us uh, was that the risk to our health was low and that the impact on economic growth would be little. Well, you know, now 200,000 uh, Americans uh, have been killed and millions have lost their jobs. Uh, he wasn't honest with us about the threat that we faced. He put his allegiance to this president above his allegiance to his constituents. They let this virus spiral out of control. The toll in human life, uh, the burden of disease, the economic disruption and devastation has been um, astonishing and historic. And even amidst all of that, and this blows my mind, Matt, while he was happy for huge sums of money to flow to the largest corporations and investment banks in America, Senator Perdue decided that you know, the hill where he was going to take a stand was to fight against $1,200 stimulus checks for workers and then to lead the charge in cutting unemployment insurance in the middle of this pandemic. And that's because Senator Perdue is the kind of politician who really only cares about the interests of his donors. You know, this is a guy who sells meetings. This is this is true. Senator Perdue sends out an invitation to lobbyists and donors in Washington that says for a $7,500 corporate pack check, he'll grant four meetings per year, a lavish retreat on the private island where he lives, and access to his home. Oh, and an end of year phone call for $7,500 corporate PAC money. This is a guy who hasn't held a town hall meeting to answer questions in a public forum from his own constituents in six years. But when we have that kind of pay to play corruption in our campaign finance system, that's why we get politicians like David Perdue, who are swift to cater to the needs of their donors, who tend to be the most powerful and best connected people and organizations in the country, but apparently couldn't care less uh, when it's ordinary people and Main Street businesses are suffering. I mean, can you believe the Senate has been on vacation for the last month? 
with with the extended unemployment insurance expiring, the small business loans expiring, no additional stimulus checks coming, local school districts having to adapt to this crisis without supplementary federal support, state and local governments uh, having tax revenues plummet. He's on vacation. If Wall Street banks stock valuations were plummeting, he'd be back in Washington overnight because that's who butters his bread. The rest of us, not so much. Well, and so your 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 plan, your effort against coronavirus would include what? Would it be more stimulus checks, more uh, expanded PPP for small businesses? What sort of, of things would be included in your effort? Well, first of all, the public health response has to be guided by public health expertise. I mean, here in Georgia, we, we host the CDC. Uh, and what we've seen instead is a politicized response. Uh, we've seen that public health officials and public health expertise um, have been uh, marginalized in the pandemic response, and the politicians have been front and center. They've politicized the response. In a public health emergency, you want medical doctors and public health experts at the forefront. You want to implement their um, their policy suggestions because they know what they're doing and politicians don't. Politicians need to recognize the limitations of their own wisdom and knowledge uh, and defer to the people who actually know what they're talking about. And to get this virus under control, we need a public health response guided by that expertise. And only then will we be able to restore robust economic growth. On the economic side, yes, the response should put the most mar- the most vulnerable and the most financially precarious folks first. Main Street, mom and pop, small businesses, working families who are, you know, um, uh, one month of unemployment away from eviction or utility shutoff or being unable to uh, to pay the bills. You know, why is it that over the last six months between Congress and the Fed, literally trillions of dollars have flowed to the most powerful uh, corporate interests in this country who already have deep cash reserves, access to corporate debt markets. And there's been really little discussion of it. But Senator Perdue's up there trying to prevent a single $1,200 check from going to working people. We need to invert those priorities. That's not to say that the uh, the, the solvency and, 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 um, and financial security of major enterprises and the banking system aren't important. They are. But ordinary people should come first. And it's it's the corruption in our political system that has politicians with their priorities all mixed up. When polls show a tight race between you and Senator Perdue, meaning every vote really does make a make a difference. But in June, we saw uh, voting access issues in, in several Georgia counties, and there are continuing complaints of, of voter suppression efforts and problems caused by the coronavirus. Do you have concerns about people being able to, to vote and get to the polls in November? Well, of course, I have concerns. And, you know, my message for, for everyone who's tuned in is that this has to be a, a bottom up community-wide movement style effort to generate record turnout. Obviously, we're putting public health first during this pandemic. So what we're not doing is out, you know, knocking on doors and canvassing neighborhoods. But we do have a very robust phone banking, text banking, voter outreach, voter education program. Uh, And I need your help, you know, um, not for my sake. It's not about my political ambition, about the future of our country. And when we do face such problems with election integrity and election administration, it's vital that turnout be overwhelming. So, you know, and I, I say this with no sense of entitlement to people's time or, or effort, but, uh, you know, for the sake of our country, don't wait to get involved. Uh, now is the time to affirmatively seek out how you can help and what I'm going to do is drop into the 
uh, chat here if this works the way I think it does. <laughs> the campaign website. Let me know if that went through. It did. And uh, oh, I see it's got me as Jake Best on my staff, but that's me. And sign up to volunteer um, because we need your help getting out the vote. And look, people are saying election day is in two months. That's really not the right way to look at it. The last day of voting is in two months. The election's here. If you're voting by mail, it's time to request those mail ballots now, not tomorrow, now. And if you're planning to vote in person, vote early and vote on the front end of the early voting period. October 12th, October 12th, October 12th is the first day of early voting. And I think, John, I think you touched on this a little bit, but what's, um, are there other ways that LGBT folks can help and get involved in the campaign? Yeah, well, please, please, you know, if you go to the website, electjohn.com, electjon.com, and you click volunteer, we'll take it from there. Once we've got your info and we know you're interested, then we'll equip you to safely and comfortably and within everyone's personal comfort level in terms of how they're communicating with folks, whether it's phone calls, text messages, emails, helping us on the back end, um, whatever it is you're comfortable doing, we need you involved. Uh, and, you know, again, the election is not in two months. The election ends in two months. The election is now. Now is the time to act. And, you know, the last thing that anyone wants to, to wonder uh, when this is all said and done and the votes are counted is what more could I have done? Did I do enough? Let's not be in that position. Let's leave it all on the field and let's win in November to send a message that will echo down through history that the politics of intolerance and fear and division and scapegoating are not what this country is all about. We're on a dangerous path right now. Corruption, authoritarianism, racism. We can't take our republic for granted. This is an extraordinary election. This is a fork in the road for America. And all of us have an obligation to help steer this country uh, toward the beloved community that John Lewis believed in and not to where Donald Trump is taking us. And there's a, a voting related question that we sort of touched on uh, from one of our attendees who said, what's, um, or who asked, uh, how can we be sure our vote is actually counted? Well, look, there's more resources, uh, more legal expertise, more scrutiny going into voter integrity, protection of ballot access in Georgia than ever before. Stacey Abrams has done an extraordinary job setting up Fair Fight. My campaign's working closely with the Democratic Party. Uh, there are voting rights groups that are very active here in Georgia. So um, our concern needs to be turnout. There are brilliant people, great legal minds, well-resourced, who will work to make sure that this count is conducted fairly. Our concern needs to be turnout. We have to have overwhelming turnout, and we need to not wait until the last minute so we don't get those six, eight-hour lines. I'm going to say it again, that October 12th, that's October 12th, is the first day of early voting. If you're voting by mail, request that ballot today, and if you're voting early, then vote in that first week of the early voting period. And please help us, uh, whether it's texting, calling, sending emails, um, poll watching. Uh, we need your help. Well, so in 
2017, you ran against an anti-LGBTQ Republican. Three years later, it's a different race and a different Republican, but the same opposition to LGBTQ equality. So I just kind of wanted to underscore how important this election is for, for LGBT people to actually get out and, and participate. Yeah, look, the choice in November couldn't be clearer in Georgia's Senate race. Uh, we can we can reelect David Perdue, who's an opponent of LGBTQ equality, uh, who believes that he should decide who's allowed to get married and build a family, who, be, who believes that he belongs in the exam room with Georgia's women making medical decisions for him, who dismisses that voter suppression is even an issue while his own constituents are forced to wait six to eight hours to vote, who put his allegiance to this president above the public health and prosperity of his own people. Um, or we can elect a senator who will fight for human rights and equality and marriage equality, who will vote for the Equality Act, who will defend the right to serve in armed forces for all people in this country, who believes that uh, women's health care should be left to women and will vote to defend Roe v. Wade, who will put ordinary people and working families and small businesses over massive corporate donors, uh, and who will hold to account the president no matter their party. I'm not running to be a soldier for the Democratic Party. I'm running to represent this state. And, you know, I don't promise to always vote the way everyone wants me to. But I do promise you this. I'll come right back here, Matt. And uh, uh, whether it's LGBTQ issues or anything on the policy agenda, I'll be candid, transparent and honest with you about why I stand where I stand. Uh, answer tough questions. Hear scrutiny and criticism. That's what public service should be about. Not David Perdue, you know, hiding out on a private island, avoiding town halls, hosting lobbyists for $7,500 champagne brunches. You know, that's that's the old school pay to play, good old network. Uh, and it's not working for the people of this state. And uh, one last question from Annabeth in our audience. She asked, how do you plan to reach out to Teresa Tomlinson supporters and setting up your Senate office uh, if elected or, or for that matter, for any of the other uh, candidates that you defeated in the primary? Hey, Annabeth, thank you so much for the question. And I hope you're well. Nice to hear from you. And look, that was a, a great spirited primary uh, with um, six uh, honorable and formidable opponents. And um, I, I welcome uh, hope to earn and do not take for granted uh, the supporters of any of my six opponents uh, and humbly ask for you to get involved in this campaign because the stakes are so high. And, uh, you know, whether you supported me in the primary or not is is immaterial to me. Uh, this is about our state and our country's future. I want to hear from you. Uh, I want to to uh, win your support. I need you on the team, and I'm happy to answer any questions from anybody who has any concerns or any doubts. Well, and with that, John, as we bring our Q&A to a close, I want to thank everyone for taking part. And after the event, you'll receive an email with a link to the replay. And a big thank you, John, for your time today. And uh, Thanks, one Matt. last question. I think you yep. kind of hit this, but one last question. Where can people follow you and learn more about the campaign? So elect John, electjon.com. Please sign up to volunteer. By the way, I don't know if I mentioned this. October 12th, <laughs> October 12th is the first day of early voting. Pull out your phone, put it in your calendar. If you're voting by mail, send away for that ballot now. I'm on Instagram at John Ossoff. I'm on Twitter at Ossoff. Um, but I need more than retweets. We need 
voter education and voter outreach. So the place to go is electjohnelectjon.com. Click that volunteer button. Give us a shout. Let us know you want to get involved. We'll be in touch. We'll empower you to make a difference and protect voting rights in Georgia. Much love to everybody. I hope you and your families are in good health. I know these are difficult times, but allow yourselves to feel some hope and some confidence that with hard work, we're gonna turn the page on this chapter in our history. We're gonna get to work building the beloved community that John Lewis envisioned. We're gonna build a society with human rights and equality under the law for all. That's what the American people want. That's what the people of this state want. That's what we deserve and we can have it with leaders who are committed to it uh, and an effort by all of us to ensure that the people who represent us reflect our best and our highest aspirations and our and our values. Thank you, John. And everyone stay safe, wear your mask, vote October 12th, and uh, enjoy your holiday weekend. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. See ya. Thanks again to John Ossoff for sitting down with me. And thanks to everyone out there for listening. Subscribe to Podcast Q to keep up with new episodes and follow us at theqatl.com. See you soon with a new episode. 